0: Me, sir. How you doing, sir? <clears throat> Amen. Good morning, Christ Church. Happy Home Opener Sunday. Ohio State gave a beatdown yesterday. Amen. Heaven rejoiced. And I know we've got um, some uh, Michigan (laughs) and we're praying for y'all. We're praying that, (laughs) but thanks for being here today. Um, We've got a lot of good stuff going on. A lot of stuff happening this fall. So make sure you're staying connected, but let me pray and we'll get into the message today. Father, we thank you. We love you. We pray, Lord, that you would guide us and bless us, Lord. In uh, that you would lead us into your good purposes here at our church, Father. Help us as we look at the scripture. I pray that it would uh, speak to our hearts, that we could have open hearts to it, Lord, and we could be transformed together through it. And I ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, today we're um, continuing this sermon series on, on Better Together, and we've been talking about how uh, God. It works through our life, uh, in relationships, in community, and and does special and powerful things. And this week, I read a a really good book called The Effective Executive. Isn't that like a powerful title? The Effective? I'm trying to, I want to be effective, not ineffective, you know? So it it jumped out to me. But I had actually read it when I was a lot younger, but when I read it, it it didn't really impact me at all, you know, because... I think I just didn't really have a whole lot of experience kind of in leadership and stuff like that. But when I've been reading it this week, I was just really mesmerized by it. And his whole idea is that all of us are, are kind of executives, if you will, whether you have an, a great corner office or not. Because he says whenever you, you, know, you take responsibility to make the organization that you're part of, the family you're part of, uh, the church you're part of better, he said you're, you're acting in that role. And the other cool thing he says is that being effective in leadership it's not about a certain personality type. You know, you, you ever like look at someone and you're like, wow, I could never do what they do cuz they're outgoing or they're, you know, charismatic or they're this or that, but what he said is actually being effective in leadership roles is not about personality, it's just about habits. And it's about a certain set of habits. And if you uh, practice them and learn them, anyone can be effective, which I thought was cool. And so here's the five uh, that he has. He said, number one, they, they know where their time goes. I, I read that chapter and it, I was just like, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe that's part of my problem. Anyone else? And, and he says that, he says, you know, we, we all sort of, no one has naturally a good gauge on where their time goes. You actually have to, to sit down and look at it and keep track of it, and, and that's how you can, you can figure it out. So they know where their time goes. Second, they're focused on outward contribution. They're, 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 looking, and they're looking at whatever they're part of, and they're saying, what can I contribute? Instead of kind of looking around and saying, what what do others have to contribute to me? But what can I really bring to the table and how can I focus on that? Third, they build on strengths. Uh, Have you ever noticed you can focus on your weaknesses all day long and make very, very minimal progress? But it's really cool when you transfer your focus on your strengths. That's where God has given us all the potential. And so he says, you know, people that, that are effective, they, they get this and they understand it. They, they put their attention there. I was thinking about this with my kids. It's so easy to notice everything they don't do right, you know, or, or whatever, where they're. But then do you ever sit down and notice what they do that's good and their strengths and emphasize that? It's, it's a game changer. Four, is uh, concentrate on the few major where superior performance produces outstanding results. In other words, what are the things that really matter and make a difference? And lastly, make effective decisions. I thought those were cool. You guys don't care. I thought they were cool. I thought they were good. Uh, and he says we, we, can all, we can all learn and grow on these. But, but here's, what I liked about, here's what I liked about the book is it was, it was empowering. It was this idea that, because I believe, I believe all of us Probably in some capacity in life, we are leaders. In some capacity in life, people are looking to you, and they're looking to be guided by your attitude, by your decisions, by your wisdom. Like, like, I bet all of us in some realm, and what he says is all of us can can hold those roles in life better. It it doesn't matter what your personality or background, anything, if, if we learn and focus, we can become better and more effective. And as I was thinking about that, it reminded me of what we've been reading in the book of Acts. And we've been seeing God just just give birth to the early church, and God start this movement bringing the message of Jesus to the ancient world. And we see just God doing all these powerful and amazing things. And when you sit back and you look at that, you might be tempted to say, man, that's so cool to read about, that's so cool, to preach about, to talk about, but I don't, I don't really think God could use my life in that way. See, so I, I believe some of us, we, we look at our life and we're like, I'm not the type of person that God could really use. I don't have enough knowledge, I don't have enough maturity, I don't have enough gifts, I don't have the right personality, and we, we kind of play that game in our own lives, but what I want to tell you today Is that I believe you only need one thing for God to use your life and my life. Only one thing for God to use our lives in effective ways. And here's what it is a willing heart. That's it. And every one of us can have that if we want it. I don't care your gifts, I don't care your personality. I don't care what you think you, you lack or don't. I, none of that matters. Do you, do you have a willing heart towards God? And if you do, or if you're willing to, then I believe God can work through our lives in really, really powerful ways. And I want to show that to you today. So we're going to look at a, a lot of scripture today. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to start there. And we're going to see the story of a man named Philip. And we're going to see how God uses him in some really cool ways. So here's how it begins. Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to start at verse 1. I'm just going to give you the setting here. It says this, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, the apostles. Or the apostles, if you want to shorten it. Drop the, <laughs> drop the A. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went abroad preaching the word. If you have a Bible, underline that last verse there, verse 4. They went about scattered preaching the word. Now let me give you a little bit of the context here. So if you are reading through the book of Acts, we come to this moment where This early leader named Stephen, he gets arrested, like, in kind of a similar way that we saw last week. Um, John and Peter get arrested, but this time, you know, they do more than threat, they do more than beat, they actually kill him. And it's, you know, the first time that this has happened, so, you know, things have really escalated. And once they kill him, it just breaks out into pandemonium. And, you know, Christians are now kind of fleeing for their lives. There's, there's this huge persecution breaking out. And so everybody scatters because everybody's like, dude, th- this is wild. You know, they're, they're not messing around. And they go out to different areas except for the apostles. And this is, this is the setting here. And what Luke is showing us is something really, really powerful, that this persecution actually became the catalyst for God to fulfill his mission through his people. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus, before he goes to the right hand of God, before he ascends, he looks at the apostles and he says this. He says, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, into the outermost parts of the earth. And now what Luke is showing us here in chapter 8 is that 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 promise is being fulfilled, but it's not being fulfilled in the way that they expected or wanted. You're going to get spread out. You're going to go around the world, but but persecution is going to be the catalyst. And do you ever notice that sometimes God works in our life, getting us to the place that we want to be, but his methods aren't always the ones that we choose? You with me on that? It kind of can get frustrating, can it? You're like, all right, Lord, I was praying for this, but I didn't know the path would look like this. You with me on this? I want to get to this destination, Lord, but wow, if I knew the journey would look like this, I'm not sure I would have prayed that. And, and that's kind of where, you know, the early church is. And, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Because sometimes the things that, that we think are stopping us might actually be God's tool for moving us forward. God's wisdom is way higher than your wisdom and my wisdom, you know? I like, for me, the best path is point A to point B and a nice straight line. Anyone? Somehow, the kingdom of God works a lot different than that. It's it's multidimensional. It's all over the place. And so what I want you to see today is that we have to have a willingness to trust God when the circumstances feel like an absolute obstruction or difficulty in our life. Because whether you can see it in the moment or not, it might actually be God's plan in God's process to get you and to get me where he actually wants us to be. He said, hey, church, you guys, you're going beyond Jerusalem. And they're like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, there, there's a nice bus line that we can hop on, and it takes us to downtown Samaria. There's a good gyro place there. This is great. We're, we're in. He said, you're not taking the bus there. You're going to be running for your life, but you're going to get there. You know? And, and all of us, we've got to have an openness to seeing God work through the trials and difficulties of our life. And so many times, I think, when those persecutions come, when the scattering comes, when the confusing circumstances come, we're so quick to say, Lord, this doesn't compute. And yet, so often in Scripture, we see God use these unusual methods. As ways to advance his cause and to bless his people. So here's just what I'm asking you today is trust God when it doesn't make sense. Tr- trust God when, when you feel like you hit a wall and, and begin to just kind of ask, Lord, is, is, this, is this a way that you're trying to advance something in your kingdom or in my heart? Is it help me to see what your purpose is? In this difficulty. Now here's the second thing that I love about this. Is look again at at verse 4. Now those who were scattered. They went about preaching the word. Now I think that's significant. Because here they get persecuted. Here they're getting run down. You know it says that Saul. uh, He's going from house to house. He's looking to find people and arrest them. But but did, did any of that dampen their spirits, or dampen their their sense of mission to do what God's calling them to do. Well, no, it says they just said, all right, you can run us out of this place. But this next place, we're going to go share Christ there, no matter what. And I love the resiliency of the early church. And I believe that it comes from just this powerful reality that they were absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. What, what made them so resilient in these moments? What, what made them just, just able to keep going and to look fear and difficulty and persecution in the face and say, you know what? We're not gonna stop. What I think it was was just their absolute conviction that Jesus Christ really is the hope of the world and that they were God's plan to bring it To this world. And can I tell you today that you are God's plan to bring the hope that this world needs to them? You and I are. We are God's plan. And they were convinced, and just kind of let me share some of this with you today. They were convinced that Christ is the true existential hope of this world. What I mean by that is, He brings meaning and purpose to our life. If today you're floundering in life and you feel a sense of meaninglessness, you feel a sense of purposelessness, then open your heart to Christ. Because the meaning and purpose you crave, I believe you will find it in him. It'll be hard to find anywhere else, but I believe in him, we find it. He's the psychological hope of the world. He renews our minds and brings life to it. I got a lot of crazy stuff up here. Anybody else? Yeah. I knew I was in the right place. And, uh, and it's, it's a wild jungle, you know. The world is way safer than this place. Um, but you know what? What helps is Christ, is renewing my thinking, helping me to, to think differently, to see, to, to recognize that what, what is destructive. You know, the great apostle Paul, he says the mindset on the flesh is death. That when it's just me and myself and trying to sort all this out, Paul says you're not going to get anywhere. But the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. That through Christ we can have a life-giving mind and a peace-producing mind. Does that sound good to anybody? He's the hope. He's the relational hope of this world. I believe there is no one that is better at helping us to love and forgive and reconcile to each other than Christ. He says, I forgave you. It's all done. Now go forgive them. Go be reconciled. He brings us together. He's the spiritual hope of this world. Through him, there's forgiveness. We can, we look, every one of us, man, we've got regrets. Every one of us, if we're honest, we're going to look at moments of our life and we're going to cringe. Every one of us, sometimes there's going to be memories where we're like, oh, did I really? And you're like, I did. And it's hard. And you're going to try and shake it out of your system. But we can't do it because we need something outside of us to bless us, to forgive us, and to cleanse us, and to give us the freedom to no longer carry that stuff and brutalize ourselves with it. And Christ gives you that freedom. You don't have to take it. You'll be like, no, Lord, I'm good. Let me just, I haven't beat myself up quite enough. He's like, hey, if you want to be an idiot, go for it. But I got something better for you. You with me on this, church? He, he is the spiritual hope. Only through Christ. Look, he cleans our conscience. He, he gives us that, that freedom to look at our brokenness and say, man, I do regret that. Man, I am sorry for that, but you know what? I'm also forgiven for it. And my life and who I am is not defined by that. It's defined by the future that I have with him. He's a spiritual hope. And he is the eternal hope, church. Here's what the early church believed. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Here's what they believe. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. They didn't say that arrogantly. They said it passionately. They said, look, how dare we hold back this hope from a world that desperately needs it? You with me on this, church? And and you and I, man, sometimes we need to be reconnected to that spirit a little bit. Sometimes we we need to just kind of let these guys rub off on us a little bit and, and renew our passion. And whether, whether we, we feel up to it or not, realize God is looking at us and he's saying, hey, you're my plan to bring the hope of Christ to this world. Are you game for it? Are you, here's what it is, are you willing to be it? Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to try? You with me on this, church? Sometimes as followers of Christ, we need, to, we need to fan the flames of our love for people who don't know Christ, of our confidence in the goodness and the truth and the power of the gospel. And we got to start letting it move us a little bit. You with me on this, church? Here's what John Stott says. He's one of my heroes. I've always had a difficult relationship with ambition if you like the Enneagram, which I do, I'm at Enneagram three, so really messed up. But uh, but, but you know, I always kind of like you know struggle with like, all right, like is it is it me, is it God? You know what I'm saying? Y'all are leaving me hanging here. That's all right. That's all right. Your time will come, and I'll leave you hanging. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but here's what John Stott says. I thought this was this was actually really powerful to me. He said ambition for self may be quite modest. He says, in other words, you know, you're your ambition for your life, it can be whatever. It can be modest. It can be good. He said that doesn't really matter. But look what he says. Ambitions for God, however, if they're to be worthy, can never be modest. This is powerful to me. There's something inherently inappropriate about cherishing small ambitions for God. How can we ever be content that he should acquire just a little more honor in this world. Lord, I just want you a little bit honored by my life. God, I just want you to use my life just a little bit. He says, how, how can God be honored in that? No, John Stott says. <laughs> we become, we become, sorry, I'm cracking myself up today. It's like, I don't care if you like it or not. We, we become... We become ambitious for the spread of his kingdom and righteousness everywhere. This, I thought this was profound. John said, He says, look, you can't have a small ambition for God because it's not right that he's the king of all. And you're like, I, I just kind of want to like kind of glorify him. I, I just want to glorify him just a little bit. He said, no, we, we, we can't think that way. If we really believe he's the king, if you really believe, then we have to have more of the spirit of the early church that's like, no, we're going to try and reach the world. We're going to do everything we can. We're going to serve him with, with all that we are. You with me on this, church? Now, again, look, you can mask godly ambition and selfish ambition. He's not talking about that. You could say you're doing it for God, you're doing it for you in reality. But but when our hearts are really doing it for God, then he says, man, dream. Go for it. Aim high. Seek to honor him. And I sense that spirit in the book of Acts. And sometimes we need to capture a little more of that spirit in our hearts and in our lives. You with me on this, church? Now, here's how the story goes. Now, we'll be introduced to a, a new guy named Philip, and here's what happens. Verse 26, now, an angel said to Philip, he was one of the early church leaders, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. If you've got a copy of Scripture, underline that. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. This was a, a, a person that had a great responsibility in the royal family. So this is like, you know, a big, a big wig coming down in this desert place. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So this man was either born Jewish or had converted to Judaism, but he lived quite far away and was coming for one of the pilgrimages. So this is just kind of a very unusual sight here. And he was returning, seated in his chariot. And sure enough, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? This is the biggest softball in all of the Bible. This is the lowest hanging fruit. This dude is reading Isaiah. Do you understand what you're, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage that he was reading, Isaiah 53, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before it shears is silent, he opens not his mouth, and humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? I'm really curious right now. Philip's like, well, you better believe what the answer is here. This is about Christ. And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to the water. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the church to stop. They both went into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, there are just so many cool things in these verses. And I only got four minutes and 58 seconds left. So, I, just kidding. I don't care about that clock. Uh, but... But let me, let me talk through these. Here, here's, I want you to see, because what Acts is showing us, they're just showing us how, how God worked through an individual's life. And, and I think it's, it's, a, uh, it's a teaching for us. It's a way to understand how God is going to work through you and me to bring the good news of Christ to the world around us. So kind of chapter 8 begins with the 30,000-foot view. Now we're zoomed in. We see that they're scattered and they're preaching the gospel, but now we see what it looks like on a much smaller, more detailed level. You you with me on this? And so here's what happens. Number one, I want you just to see, God directs Philip down this road, and I love what Luke says, it's a desert place. It's a desert place. And it's just worth noting today how many times we see this idea of desert be in this place of preparation, of launching, of sort of training, of of all these kind of things among God's people. You you can see it uh, from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus. Jesus is baptized, and where does he go? He goes into the desert. He's tempted by the evil one. He steps out of that, and then he begins his ministry. And there's so many... Ideas of this. And, and I think it's just worth noting that the desert place is kind of like it's that place that, that we tend to resist. You ever sense God's calling you somewhere and you're like, mm. you know what I'm saying? That's a real, mm. yeah. You, you resist it. You're like, it's this, I don't like this place. Or maybe you're in that place right now. You don't have to raise your hand on this, but, but anyone anyone in a place like you don't like, you're uncomfortable, but, but yet you kind of know, I'm in the right place, but then how can this be the right place? Because it's a desert. You know, there's no sandals resort here. There's just a lot of arid dryness, sand, all that kind of thing, but, but yet you're like, but I think I'm where God wants me, but why would he want me in a desert place? And God does, whether we like it or not, God does some of his best work in our lives in these places. They're ironic. On the one hand, there's a place where nothing grows and nothing is alive. But on the other hand, they're an incredible place for your spiritual life to come alive. See, things actually do grow here. You can either grow in bitterness or you can grow close to God. The desert, believe it or not, it's fertile for those two things. It's not fertile for probably a lot of other things, but it's fertile for that sense of deepening with God, of preparation with God, of God's purposing, purpose becoming more real. Or it can be a place where we get all bitter and nasty. It's about how willing are we to allow God to guide us through this place. So he goes to a desert place, and then he sees this unexpected thing happen. There's this chariot, there's this entourage, there's this Ethiopian leader, and and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, says, Philip, go over to the chariot. Now what we are seeing here is oftentimes how God's leadership works in our life. See, if you're a follower of Jesus today, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The New Testament says you're you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means the door is closed, the lock is on the door, and the key is thrown away. You're you're united now. And the Spirit lives within us, and and the Spirit guides us. The The Spirit does all kinds of amazing things. And what we're seeing here is how the Spirit guides us through what we could call promptings or whispers or nudges or or whatever. But it's God living in us, directing us towards the things that we need to do or pay attention to or act on. Now, the voice of God's Spirit, it's, it's in us, it's for us, but it's not from us. There's a lot of voices in my head. Don't judge me. Some are good. Many are bad. Anyone else? And part of Christian growth is learning to discern and to take serious the voice of God's spirit. Now, here's the deal. It, it's always going gonna, gonna to accord with Scripture. It, it's, going to, it's going to always align with what we know and understand about God from Scripture. It's not going to call you outside of those boundaries. It's going to call you to faith, hope, and love. That's what the Spirit is always trying to create in you and in me. It's going to lead us and move us towards God's kingdom purposes. See, some of us, you know, we we have a voice of condemnation. That's not the Spirit. How do I know that? Because Romans 8 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit will have a different message. that you with me on this? So we have to discern, and and we have to trust that that God is actually leading you all the time. Now, I don't think he's, you know, you wake up and it's like, uh, should I wear the... Uh, the the orange shirt or the red shirt today holy spirit show me I, I think it's more important things than that. Should I order double chicken or single chicken <laughs> of course it's going to say double amen uh no but it's, it's it's i'm not talking about it that way i'm talking about the 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 bigger things in life and and the spirit leads us and what we see here is, is something I just want to point out the spirit always leads our lives into bigger circles, if you will. Because the Spirit believes we are better together. That God's kingdom is a big place. That there's, there's always room at His table. And He wants us to be part of that, that expanding circle of God's kingdom. And so here's Philip, he's walking on this road, he, this Ethiopian eunuch, you know, it's probably a little bit of an intimidating deal, you know, it's royalty, who knows, there's probably bodyguards and things like that, and God's like, go over to him. Philip's like, can I take a pass on this one, Lord? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? You know, it's just kind of awkward here. Hey, nice chariot. Uh, you know, where, where do I go with this? Um, how's Ethiopia this time of the year? And, and yet, yet God kind of calls them to it. And it reminded me, and, and I was thinking about us as a church, I believe God always wants us, there's always moments in our life where he's calling us to reach out to each other, to go first, if you will. And there's always a little awkwardness and tension in that, isn't there? Like I like it better when someone comes and introduces themselves to me I'm always a little more gun-shy to go and introduce myself to them. Anybody like that? or you? Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little, you know, it, you're, you're kind of in the driver's seat there. It's, it's a little bit more. But here's what I was thinking. I believe as a church we need to be a spirit-led church. Here's what that means. I think it's one thing to be a friendly church. Here's what a friendly church is. If someone comes up to you, you're friendly to them. That's good. You don't want to be unfriendly. But a spirit led is where we come and we're saying, all right, Lord, who do you want me to go to? Do you hear that? you see the difference? You're coming in here on Sundays or, or whatever, and you're saying, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm part of your kingdom. Lord, you got, you got hurting people that maybe you want me to welcome. Maybe you want me to pray for. Maybe you want me to encourage. And Lord, where are you sending me? You see the difference? It's one thing to sit back. That's friendly. That's good. You know, don't not do that. But spirit-led is to say, all right, Lord, what's the mission today? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to connect with? And the spirit loves to help us communicate Christ to others. Now, Philip didn't know what he was getting into, and when you and I try and walk with God's Spirit and we try to just be willing before the Lord, you don't always know what you're going to get into or how it's going to go, but but here's all that you need to know. God's Spirit will do the heavy lifting. Can I tell you again, this is a softball moment. Philip comes up to him. What is the guy reading? Isaiah. Not not just Isaiah, he's reading Isaiah 53, the most messianic chapter in all the Old Testament, the one that that speaks most prophetically and clearly about Christ. He's reading it, and the dude is completely open, he's completely curious. He's like, man, it would be great if someone could explain this to me. <laughs> Church, that is a softball. One time after service, a, a young uh, man was—he's like crying and very upset—and he's like, Chat, can you can you help me pray to commit my life to Christ?" I was like, "I can do that." That is a softball. Are you with me? There's no there's no fancy language that's needed. <laughs> there's no deep argument those are and and here's here's what the point of this is is that if you're willing if you're willing god will do what only god can do god will do the heavy lifting you don't need all the answers you don't need to know you don't need to be something more than you are today all you need is a heart that when god taps you on the shoulder like, Lord, I'll do it. I, I'm willing. And I'll trust you. And He will use you because, you know, remember, at the end of the day, it's not about us, it's about Him. And God loves to show His power through normal people like you and me. Man, if God's tapping you on the shoulder in your life in this season, trust Him. He'll do what only He can do. You just do what He's asking you to do, and you don't need to worry about the rest. You with me on this, church? Second Chronicles 69, it says this, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards Him. Other translations say those whose hearts are fully His and then we got the rest part. Gets negative after that. But, uh, but here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see today. <clears throat> when God looks at your heart and my heart, does he see a heart that's fully his? That's the most important thing. Does he see a heart that is just willing? That's it. I'm not saying you're perfect, I'm not saying, does he look and see someone who never messes up? and No, I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. Because guess what? God can only use broken and messed up people. So if you got that covered, good. But here's the second thing. Do you have a willing heart? And what, what is God asking you to do today? And when he nudges you, when he prompts you, When he taps you on the shoulder, we say, "All right, Lord. Even if you're afraid, that's he'll he'll accept that. Even if you got doubts, he'll accept that. Even if you got worries, he'll accept that. It's action that matters. It's the step. It's the movement. It's going from the road to the chariot. And if you can just bridge that distance from the road to the chariot, God will take care of everything else. You with me on this? Let's pray." Heavenly Father, we love you. We are thankful, Lord, for your work in us, your work to us, your work through us. Father, I pray that you would uh, bless us, Lord, to have an open heart to you, to have a willing heart. I pray, Lord, today that, that we could see that it really isn't about us. It's not about who we are. It's not about who we aren't. But it's about your power being perfected in the incompleteness and the weakness of all that we are. And it's about your name being glorified in a special way through each of our lives as we say yes to you. Father, just give us a willing heart today. Bless us with that.